thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Community Connections podcast. I'm your host, Cole Warner, joined by Emily Thomas as my co-host. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for listening. And today we have Caitlin McFadden, who is our Director of Home Care, and Amy Leonard, who is the Director of our Patient Access Team. And they are coming on today to discuss a little bit about what the Hospice of Davidson County care team and sort of model looks like um, from start of the process and on through the care. And so uh, welcome, Caitlin and Amy. Hi, thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you. So Amy, I'll start with you as the Director of Patient Access. Can you explain to our listeners just a little bit about you know, sort of how the process gets started if somebody is hospice appropriate and referred to our organization? Sure. Um, we get a lot of our referrals um, from hospitals, um, but we do get them from other care settings like assisted living, skilled facilities, uh, physician offices. Um, but the important thing I would want people to know is that you can refer your own, you know, your own family member, your own self to hospice. And uh, then we just take that referral and go from there. But if we have a patient that's uh, appropriate for our services, um, you know, we can have liaisons that can go and meet with them in the hospital to help get their discharge set up to get them home. Um, We can go to facilities and meet with them there. Uh, The main thing is all of our patients that are admitted under care, they have to have a physician that's willing to state that they have a six months or less prognosis if their disease would run a normal course. Um, we do get patients sometimes that just call and give referrals and maybe they're not quite ready for hospice. We can go out and just do informational visits um, with people as well. Well, and I know that some of the liaisons that you were talking about, they do education just with uh, like healthcare providers in the community and such. Does that education, do they do that on a, on a case-by-case basis with families as well? Like if, if somebody is interested, but maybe they're not ready for hospice yet? Sure. We, so anytime somebody just wants some information, we can always talk to them over the phone uh, to go through that, or we can plan to meet them. We actually call those pre-assessment visits just to see where they're at, um, you know, if they're, if they're ready for our services at that point or ready to pursue a referral, then we can then get in touch with the doctor and get an order and things like that. But we don't have to have a physician's order just to provide an informational visit to somebody, whether it's us going out to their home or going into another care setting to meet with them. I think it's good to hear that explained like that because it can be pretty intimidating to call hospice. I know we're all used to that word, but um, if you don't hear that or interact with hospice a lot, that can be really intimidating. So to know that you can call and just get information on that and you're not tied into anything is very um, is comforting. Um, so after after someone after the pre-assessment or assessment is done, can you guys explain what happens next in terms of admission? Sure. So we do have uh, admissions nurses that go out to the home and they would complete the entire admission process, which is going through all of our consents and getting that piece signed and doing the initial uh, nursing assessment from that point and starting the development of the uh, plan of care and um, opening up our visit frequencies and things like that, looking at all their medications that they're on too. So I know after that's done for me as a social worker, I go out in the next few days and do my initial psychosocial assessment. Um, 
But if Caitlin, if you could elaborate some on what um, the medical piece of that and what the nurses do in the in the following days. Right. So after admission, um, within the next one to two days, you're going to see your primary nurse. Um, she's going to come out. She's going to introduce herself, go over, again, any hospice service questions that you have. She'll answer any questions that maybe you didn't ask or forgot to ask during the admission process and just kind of get you acclimated to services and what to expect with your care team. You talked about having your care team nurse come out. Is that, I know I'm a little bit familiar. Can you talk about what that looks like in terms of, are you seeing sort of the same nurse or nursing staff or or at least the same few? Like what's the process there with who's going to be coming into the home on a regular basis? You're assigned a nurse and a social worker. So you can expect to see the same nurse and social worker Um, Now, obviously, if they're on vacation or out sick, you'd have somebody else answering your needs. Um, You know, they're available, that primary case manager, Monday through Friday, eight to five. And then we have on-call staff for um, the nights during the week and then on the weekends as well. So, again, you see the same people generally throughout your care. um, And I think that helps to keep it consistent and build relationships. I think from my experience personally, that those initial visits hold a lot of importance because like I said earlier, it can be a very stressful time for people to elect hospice. And so to to meet someone and start forming that relationship and ask all the questions that they forgot to ask during admission um, is a, is a very important piece. Um, And to see the same people over and over again, for the most part is, um, I hear people say a lot that that's very helpful and that makes a lot of sense. Um, Can you speak to the frequency that people visit and um, why it's set up like that and, you know, PRN visits and things like that? Sure. So generally you'll see your nurse um, once a week. She'll come out, do her, you know, weekly assessment, you know, see how you're doing, what your needs are. Um, If she's changing medications around or there's symptoms or things going on, she's going to base her frequency Um, what the patient needs so they can come out as frequently as they need to um, because, you know, things happen. And even if you just call during the week and there's a problem or a question or concern, you know, the nurse can come out and that's for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, There's always staff to meet those needs. So really it's just dependent on what the patient needs and what's happening. Um, And then the social worker, again, they base their visits um, generally one time a month. They can do them more often if needed And the PRN visits for them, um, those as-needed visits would just be for needs that arise throughout the month or, you know, really any situation that comes up. One thing that, um, Emily, you mentioned in your last question that um, it it triggered this for me. Amy, you were talking about the information and educating people on, you know, what the services might look like and things in different settings. I would imagine that then the partnerships that you have with local healthcare providers and hospitals and facilities then is is pretty important in terms of um, helping families get to the right resource at the right time. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Uh, like as far as our liaisons, we have uh, liaisons that go into local hospitals here and, you know, they're making daily contact with the case managers and developing relationships with them. So that way those case managers also know the services that we provide. So when they have families that they're talking to, then they can help direct to which agency that they're going to refer them to. As far as our um, facilities in our area, um, 
we contract with most of the uh, facilities here in Davidson County, whether it's skilled or assisted living facility. And it's the same way we do have a dedicated liaison that does go into the facilities and has working relationships with, um, with their staff there. And so they can call us and they know, you know, who, what we're going to do when we come out for our services. So those relationships are very important. And we are constantly working on those relationships as well as working on relationships with our physician offices too. So whenever they have somebody that comes into the office, they know which agency to call because there are several hospices that are in our area. And sometimes families may not know who to call unless they've had an experience with a provider before. Um, But those patient family friend referrals, those are very important referrals to us. um, And we want those people to call us. And so we can follow up with those referrals. Because, you know, Emily mentioned a couple of times and even when you know, Caitlin was talking about the first time a nurse comes out, a case manager, and all the questions and the information being overwhelming. I would imagine that no matter, you know, where a family chooses or if it's hospice or if they elect, you know, further treatment and things like that based on eligibility criteria, I imagine that just being able to answer people's questions make this type of information a little bit more approachable and understandable is a big thing that both of, you know, in our home care and um, our access team, that that's a big part of their job, whether they're patient, a patient of ours or not. Right. Yes. True. Um, You know, a lot of people are very scared of hospice and what that means. And they already have preconceived notions on, you know, on what that is. And, you know, our job is to go and when we talk, we're educating them on our services. You know, we don't want to take anybody's hope away. And even if they, you know, elect, maybe they're not ready for hospice. Now we've planted that seed of, you know, here's what our services are. And, you know, and maybe in a month later, then they call us when they're ready, or we've admitted some patients. And then after they're under service for a month or so, they may decide, you know, hey, I want to pursue this aggressive care now, but, you know, because my my goals have changed a little bit. And at any point, you know, they can revoke hospice at any time to pursue anything that they would like to do. I want to go back for a second to what we were talking about with the relationships with facilities and hospitals and just community organizations in general. Um, Something I get asked a lot when I'm working with people on placement is, do the nurses and social workers still come out to the facilities? And that's something that I was surprised by when I first started and that people are surprised to hear a lot is that our nurses, social workers, CNAs, chaplains still go into the facilities, even though they have care there as well. Um, So I think that's another really important aspect of keeping and maintaining those relationships to maintain optimal care Um, which that brings up another thing, which is our CNA services and our chaplain services. So um, if you guys want to speak to what what they do and also their frequency and how that's implemented. Um, So for our CNA services, that's an additional service that families can elect. Um, They can either elect it at the time of admission or at any point during their care. And the frequency is generally based on their needs. Um, So the CNA will come out um, help give them a bath, help teach the family how to provide personal care as well, um, since that we're not in the home 24 hours a day, and we do want to help empower families to be able to help provide that care to their loved ones. Um, for the chaplain, he goes generally one time a month. Again, it's similar to the social worker. It's generally based on their needs, um, and he can go um, 
additionally during the month as well, if things come up as well. And that's an additional service, again, that you can either elect on admission or at any point during your care. And uh, what might some of the, you talked about families, um, you know, doing empowering them in the home. What are some of the things that uh, I imagine a lot of it is educational based or at least um, sort of teaching family members how to do certain things. What are some of the um, tasks and daily functioning activities that CNAs help our patients with and families? So they help with bathing, um, whether it be getting them in the shower or doing a bed bath, um, changing their clothes, doing hair care, personal care, um, you know, maybe changing their sheets, getting their area that they're living in tidied up and straightened up. So they can really help teach and empower those families how to maybe do those bed baths that maybe they're not comfortable with doing, teaching them how to change and do personal care for families that they may be required to do in the off times that we're not there that they probably have never done before with a family member. Um, So it's a good educational opportunity and time for families to get involved in care. Well, and we, we said that in the um, nursing assistance podcast that you all were on um, with us talking about um, the relationships that they build as well. I imagine um, both in our home care and our access team that you see those uh, relationships, but not only our patients and families, but, people in the community that um, also see those patients, whether it's doctor's offices, healthcare providers, or the hospitals. And I, you know, we talked about helping families have information. All of the episodes that we've done, whether it's advanced directives or um, some of the more medically specific ones, it's all about how do we help people gain information and knowledge in a subject that isn't often talked about in our community, right? And I, I think people can only be help, you know, they can only make better decisions when they're more informed and they con- and they've had conversations about things like this. When you've had conversations about with your loved ones about advanced directives and and what medical things that you might want done um, if you are in a tragic accident or have a poor prognosis, things like that. And um, so when we we're going to do this today. I think that was the biggest thing is, you know, unless you see it, you wouldn't know what hospice care looks like on a day-to-day basis. And so if Caitlin and Amy, I'll give you each a minute here or so um, for this question, but if you had to leave our families or our community with one message about what does hospice of Davidson County's care look like for them, what, what would you leave that? What would that be? I would say that it is personalized care um, to help meet your needs because we know that not every patient and every family is in the same place or has the same needs. Um, so we respect that journey and we respect where you're at in your process. Um, and we help to provide a supported journey um, to not only the patients, but the families too as well, because Um, Not only do the patients have a story to tell and a legacy to leave, but the families are going to be left, you know, afterwards, after when a patient passes. So we want to make it as great of an experience for everyone as possible. And I would totally agree with with all that. I think our main goal would be we try to meet everybody where they're at and everybody's at a different place in their journey. 
And you know, the goal of hospice is not to come in and take over what the family's already doing. It's to try to put as many of our services in place that they need to help them to provide that care for their loved one. Well, and this does come out in National Hospice and Palliative Care Month, right? And their theme this year for that um, is meeting people where they're at, right? Meeting those families where they're at. And I think um, that anytime you're talking about a subject around loss or grief or death or, um, you know, we've, we've had the episodes on traumatic medical events, things like that, you know, education and having normalizing the conversation is the first step, right? And Emily talked about, you know, some of the stuff that she does as a social worker and our bereavement team, you know, once a loved one um, passes under our care, follows up with the family and tries to ensure that those type of grief um, services are there for those families. You know, after that, as we know that the journey doesn't stop, right, um, just because we're not providing medical care to your loved one, right? That there's a there's a grief journey that follows after that. And that is just as important um, to our services as anything else, um, you know, that we offer. And I, I think it's important for people to know that. I guess I'll, I'll sort of leave you all with this, that um, you'll have, so we'll have the veterans episode that comes out next week. And we are putting together a couple of special podcast things that come out for uh, that National Hospice and Palliative Care Month. Uh, if you have any questions about our services, uh, Amy, I, I imagine calling our office. I, you're in charge of the patient access. So calling our office is the best way um, if you, anyone ever has questions about our services. Yes, you just call right in to our main number, and then we'll direct you to who you need to talk to. And that is uh, 336-475-5444. You can visit our website, hospiceofdavidson.org. And uh, you can always email us, uh, podcast at hospiceofdavidson.org, if you have any questions about community connections. Um, And otherwise, I thank you for listening, and uh, I hope that everyone who is – who. Uh, subscribe to our podcast has a wonderful holiday season.